0: Hey, I want you guys to have a seat. I want you to imagine something. I don't know what your Christmas traditional meal is. Uh, Anybody have any traditional meal? Stuffed cabbage? I've never heard that one. That's cool. Turkey, Swedish meatballs. I want you to imagine whatever your traditional Christmas meal is, you're sitting down with your family, and you're getting ready to enjoy that meal. And right as you sit down, you hear a knock at the door. And you go and you grab your door, open it up, and there's a man there who, who looks a little bit dirty. Uh, his clothes are a little bit torn. And, and he says to you, hey, I, I have nowhere to go tonight and I have no, no, no food. Uh, would you mind if I shared Christmas dinner with you? And so you go back and talk to your wife or your husband, your roommate. And you say, hey, uh, yeah, it's okay. Come on in. And you, and you have them sit down, and, and you prepare them a big plate. Uh, at, at our Christmas, it's always steak. Uh, the tradition started in Ohio. Even if there was 14 inches of snow on the ground, my dad would fire up the grill, and we'd, we'd cook those steaks, man, and they were good. So I want you, in that scenario, you know, we invite the guy in, and we sit him down, and we put a big 16-ounce ribeye right in front of him, uh, some potatoes and some carrots, and he's sitting there enjoying it, and then he starts thinking to himself, man, this is good, but I could really use a glass of water. But I'm not, I'm not real comfortable asking them for a glass of water because they, I don't know, they might, get, they might get angry at me for asking for a glass of water. I want to pause there, and I want to see if you can identify the failure in his logic. The failure in his logic is that He's already seen you in that scenario, me in that scenario, to be a generous person, right? I've given him a 16-ounce steak. And he's worried about whether or not I'm generous enough to give him a glass of water. And I thought, how... It's kind of ridiculous, even that illustration. But I thought, how many of us sort of act that way with our Heavenly Father? We we go to Him, and if we trusted in Jesus, we, we asked Him, for salvation, for forgiveness of our sins. We accepted the most extravagant gift he could have given, his own son, who came here to be one of us and gave his life and rose again that our sins might be forgiven and we might spend forever in heaven. But then some of us spend the rest of our Christian lives acting like, if not, maybe we don't say it, but we have this thought in the back of our heads like, God's kind of stingy and he's kind of mean and he's always just sort of looking out to see how he can nail me next. And I don't, I don't really see him as a generous God. I see him as kind of a mean God. And I want to say we, we so misunderstand his character when we live the rest of our Christian lives that way because he's already shown us his incredible generosity and his character doesn't change. Listen to Romans 8, 32. It says it this way. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? That verse is a little bit tricky, partially because the second part was stated in a question, but if you were to state it as a statement, the idea is this. If God was willing to give up his son for you, Nothing's going to keep him from giving you all good things. He paid the ultimate price already. What's going to keep him from taking care of everything else that's that's good and needed in your life? He's a generous God. Now, does that mean our life, that that he's going to give us all good things, does that mean that life is always going to be comfortable? Does it mean that we're always going to be rich? Does it mean that we're always going to be healthy? No, it doesn't mean that. In fact, later on in the same chapter, Romans 8, there's a quote where it says, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Christians at that time, and as we learned last week, right now in our world, are paying the ultimate price for following Jesus. They're laying down their lives. So when it says in that same chapter that that nothing will be able to separate us from the love of Christ. You know, trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness. It does not mean that those things won't come into our lives, but it does mean that not one of them can separate us from his awesome love or all the good things that he wants to give us. And let me tell you why he wants to give us those good things, Here's his purpose in our lives. If you wonder, what's my purpose as a believer? It's in order that we might be conformed to the image of his son, Jesus Christ. That's his purpose for every one of us, that we become more like his son. It's right in that same chapter, Romans 8, 29. Those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. God wants us to be just like our big brother. And so when we come to those trials and those, those things in our lives that make us question and that we struggle with, doesn't mean he's going to automatically help us escape them. but that he's going to give us every good thing we need in that situation to be made more like his son. The joy we need, the strength we need, the peace we need in those situations. But if we're honest... I wonder how many of us would admit that sometimes we just, we're operating on empty as we feel that way. We, we hear that promise, but we look at what we're going through and we're like, man, I, I'm not feeling that right now. I feel pretty drained and I feel like I'm sort of starting to lose it even because things are piling up on me and I feel kind of drained and I feel like if one more thing gets added on to my pile right now, I'm going to crack. I'm going to end up in the nut house. I, I have nothing to give. I'm empty. If I'm honest, there was a night this week where I felt like that. And I don't know if any of you guys can relate to this. If you've been a parent or are a parent of a young child, maybe you will. It was the night that it snowed really hard. I think that was Tuesday night. Uh, we already have a late bedtime for our kids, Jaden and Evan. Uh, We put him to bed around 8.30 or 9. Because if we did the 7 o'clock thing, I feel like I'd never see my kids. So we say, hey, let's let them stay up a little while. But we put him down at 9, and we hope they'll go to bed soon after that so that we can have some time to talk and rest. And This night, we put him to bed. And Evan, for whatever reason, I love that kid. We have a lot of fun together. I'd die for him. He's my my 2-year-old. That ought to tell you something right there. He's 2. And that night for two hours, we couldn't get him to go to sleep. It'd go between him being in there, to, to him screaming, to him walking out. And after two hours of that, he finally conked out. And I felt like I was at the end of my rope. I felt like so frazzled and so frustrated and so empty. And I know Carolyn was feeling some of it too. But when he finally went to sleep, I was like, Carolyn, I got to go for a walk. I put on my coat and my hat and my gloves, and the snow was blowing. I was like, I don't care. I just, I got out on the street in front of our house, Sage Vista, and God and I have had a lot of talks on that street over the years. We've been there like eight years, and I'm walking out there in the snow just saying, God, I feel like I'm dying here. I just felt crushed by it, and I didn't know if this is ever going to end with him at night, and I don't know how we can have energy for life and in each other, and, church, and God, you're going to have to, I'm, I feel like I'm dying here. You're going to have to do something, and just, just a mile of that, just walking in the snow. And it was on the way back that I saw a yard, and it's, it's a favorite yard in our neighborhood for our boys around Christmas, because it's the family that has the really good Christmas display. And this particular yard has like 10 or 11 of those inflatable kind of Christmas displays. Uh, one of them is Snoopy and Charlie Brown and Snoopy's doghouse and the kids just love that. But when I walked by it that night, uh Andrew's got a picture of this this is what it looks like. Th- this picture was taken during the day uh today. But that's what it looked like when I walked past it that night. The, the power was off, the generators were off, and so you can see it's it's just kind of flat and that night it was buried by the snow. It was empty. And I looked at that I was like, man, that is an awesome picture for how I feel right now. God, I just feel just like that thing. And honestly, that's how we are if we're trying to live life without Jesus. If we've never trusted in him, that's life. We're we're trying to do it in our own power, but we're flat. Even if we have trusted in Jesus, we get into these modes where we try to do things on our own, don't we? Where we try to do things like raise our kids without asking God's help. Like, and I'll be honest, I wasn't praying that night. I wasn't asking God's help. Praying was the last thing I felt like doing. So I didn't. I should have. I, I wasn't seeking God's wisdom in his word. I, I wasn't asking his strength to, to flow through me as a dad and minister to my kid. I was operating purely out of the flesh, and I was frustrated and flat. You guys have been there in your life, right? Trying to do it on your own. Now, I want to show you what that thing normally looks like. In a picture from the web, you can see shoppingchristmasinflatables.com across the middle. because I, It wasn't inflated when I walked by to take a picture. But that's what it normally looks like. It's, it's vibrant, and it's colorful, and it's full of life, and it, it's a blessing to the people that walk by. They get to enjoy it. And I was thinking that's, that's us when we're trusting in Jesus, when we're allowing him to fill us up, and we're doing life in his power, in the power of his spirit, and we're allowing him to carry us through, and we're resting in his word, and we're praying. Then we're able to be a blessing to others. So I had these thoughts running through my mind. I came back, and Carolyn and I talked, and and we went to bed very tired, and it was a couple, couple nights later, I was reading in my quiet time. I was reading some of Paul's letters, Ephesians and Colossians that night, And as I read them, something jumped out at me that I never saw before. And I'd encourage you to check this out. If you go into Ephesians and Colossians, just looking for every time it uses the word full, you'll be blown away. Full, filled, fullness. Time and time and time again, at least 20 times, I think, in those two books, Paul uses that word full. And it got me thinking about that that night and how, wow, Mm -hmm. I need to be filled with Jesus if you're feeling empty tonight, I just want, want to share a few of those verses with you from those, those books about fullness, and I'd encourage you to do your own study. Ephesians 1.22, God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is Jesus' body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. See, as the church, we are the fullness of Jesus. That ought to help us raise our head a little bit when we're going through trials. We are the fullness of Jesus and he fills everything in every way. Ephesians 3, Paul says, I pray that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. He's saying, I want each of these believers to be filled to the max with who God is. Ephesians 4 Jesus, who descended, is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. Jesus fills the whole universe. That's how big our Savior is. You get into Ephesians 4 a little bit later. He says, God gave the church evangelists and pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity. And in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. You see, when God's leaders train God's people to do God's work and they go out and do it, we begin to experience the fullness of Christ in our lives. Ephesians 5.18, don't be drunk on wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Colossians, I want to share just a few. Paul prays for the Colossians that God would fill them with the knowledge of his will. How many of you guys are facing something right now that you're saying, man, I could really use some insight as to what God's will is? It's Paul's prayer, and he wouldn't pray for it if it wasn't something available to us the knowledge of his will, that we'd be filled with it. Colossians 1 Paul says, I've become the church's servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness ever think about that? That we have the word of God in its fullness because of men like Paul and others that God has used. Do we believe that? The word of God in its fullness. Colossians 1, he's praying that they may have the full riches of complete understanding. Who wants a little bit of understanding in their life right now? Paul Paul wouldn't pray for it if it wasn't something we could be filled with. I love this one, Colossians 2. In Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. So Christ is every bit of God that he can be. You think of power, you think of wisdom, you think of might, you think of sovereignty. That's Jesus. And then he says, you have been given fullness in Christ. You catching this fullness metaphor? And I could go on. I'll read one more. This one's important because I know some of us All of us struggle with this at times. Epaphras prays for you so that you may be mature and fully assured in your faith. It is possible in this life to get to a point by God's grace that we are fully assured we are going to heaven. We are God's child. We don't have to live this life wondering. Once we've placed our trust in Jesus by faith, we can come to that place where there's a full assurance. How many of us need that? This is all available to those of us who have trusted in Jesus. And here's the thing. When we're not operating in our own power, when we're not that flattened, useless piece of plastic, when we're filled up, blown up with who Jesus is, then and only then can we be a blessing to those around us. Kind of like the old airplane thing when you're on the plane. What do they tell you about the oxygen? If you got a child with you, put yours on First and then put theirs on. Why? Because you're no good to that child if you pass out. Well, guess what? If we're not enjoying fullness in Christ, we may very well do more damage going out there than good because people are going to look at us and say, they're just as frazzled and burnt out and stressed out and ticked off at the world as I am. Why would I want anything that they have? But it's when we rest in who Jesus is in that fullness, and all of a sudden, he can use us. That's why Paul waits till the end of Colossians to tell them how they ought to live. Colossians 3.18, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents. Fathers, do not embitter your children. Slaves, obey your earthly masters. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right. Let your conversation be all, always full of grace seasoned with salt so that you may know how to answer everyone. Why does he wait to give them those commands until after he spends all this time talking about fullness in Christ? Because we can't do that until we're enjoying that fullness in Christ. Wives, you can't love your husbands right until you're enjoying that fullness in Christ. Husbands, you can't not be harsh with your wives until you're enjoying that fullness with Christ. Kids, you can't obey your parents as God wants you to until you're enjoying your own relationship with Jesus. I could go on and on. Employees, you can't be a good employee until you're resting in who Jesus is. Bosses, you can't be a good boss until you're resting in who Jesus is. So why do we find ourselves empty so often with all these promises of fullness? If you're like me, you find yourself there more often than you want to be. And I just want to throw out a couple ideas to use a Christmas metaphor. Jesus was the ultimate gift under the tree, okay? He was the big gift that mom and dad wait till the end of Christmas and say, oh, there's one more. (laughs) His death on the cross and his resurrection, his forgiveness of our sins, his promise of heaven, that's the big one. But sometimes after we've embraced that in faith, We forget that there's tons of other good gifts from God under the tree that have to be received the same exact way we received the big one. But first we gotta know they're there and how do you know what gifts are there? You gotta know this book. You can't know how many gifts are under the tree until you know what God said about them. That that you could have wisdom and understanding and a knowledge of his will and power and strength and peace. And then ask him, That's what you see Paul doing in a lot of these letters where he's talking about these things. He's asking for them, and not just for him, but for the people around him. What if we spent some time praying for our wives or our friends or our roommates or our husbands or our bosses that are believers saying, hey, God, help them to have a knowledge of your will. Help them to have complete understanding of what they're facing. Help them to have peace, peace, See, it's when we really believe that those gifts are there, that God is still a generous God, and we embrace those gifts by faith, that we begin to live in all the fullness that he wants us to. Romans 8.32, I'll close where we started. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all